If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, where you'll find the text printed in your bulletin insert, Numbers 11, verses 1 through 9. Today we conclude our series that's entitled, What Now? Moving Forward in a Time of Transition. And for the sake of those visiting with us, you may or may not know that we're in the midst of a very big transition as a church. Our pastor of 21 and a half years retired at the end of last year, and uh, we have a committee searching for the next pastor. And so we are in the midst of transition and change. We have a God who does not change. And God is at work here at First ARP, and he is calling us to follow him and be a part of his work and his world. As I read this text today, I want you to pay special attention, close attention, to the way that the people describe the past. For it's in that that we find the heart of what's going on in this passage and how it speaks to us today. Before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help and his blessing. Almighty God, you have given us your holy word so that we may know you and love you. And Lord, you have ordained that the preaching of your word would be one of the primary ways that we come to saving faith and we grow in our love for you. So Lord, would you set aside the things that distract us, the burdens that we bear, the things that we like to think about, and would we focus on your word? Lord, would you sanctify us in the truth, for your word is truth. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word, Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it, and ground it in handmills, or beat it in mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. According to the authors of the book Significa, the world's champion complainer was a man named Ralph Terrell. Think about that, champion complainer. Terrell received over $100,000 as a result of his systematic complaining. His smallest refund was $6.95, and his largest was $25,000. Terrell spent time every day making phone calls and writing letters of complaint. And he even wrote two books. First, How to Get the Upper Hand, 
And secondly, how I turn ordinary complaints into thousands of dollars. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous, right? Now, we can laugh at the absurdity of a story like that. But complaining is pervasive. I'm sure we can all think of people who complain a lot. Maybe they're sitting in the pew next to you. Maybe they're at children's church. Hopefully not. But we all know someone who complains. Maybe you're someone who complains. Here in this passage, we find the Israelites complaining. I mean, right out of the gate, our passage begins, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And this isn't the first time they've complained. You know, they were in Egypt, God brought them out, and throughout the book of Exodus, time and time again, they complained. Oh, that we had food to eat. Oh, that we had water. Oh, that you had just killed us in Egypt. Oh, that you had done this or that. They complained about one thing or another. The book of Numbers is a fascinating book. A lot of it's instructions for God's people, but there's also a lot of their history, including the 40 years they wander in the wilderness because of their rebellion, not wanting to enter the promised land. Numbers chapter 1 tells us that it was the first day of the second month of the second year. In other words, it was a year and a month after they had been brought out of Egypt. And so our text is probably about that same time, within a month or two. The people complain and the Lord is angry. And he sends fire to the outlying parts of the camp. That was a warning sign. God didn't send the fire to the middle of the camp to kill people. He sent it to the outskirts, the unholy parts, as if to say, look, stop what you're doing. Quit complaining. People cry out to Moses. Moses intercedes to God, and God relents of the fire. But the people are stubborn and they ignore the warning. They spit in the face of God's mercy and they complain some more. And what I want us to see in this passage is that there is a very specific reason why these people complain. They complain because they've idolized the past. They've made an idol, something more important than God. They've elevated the past over God. They care more about the past. And so they get into trouble. How do I know this? Well, in verse 5, the people say, we remember. The Hebrew word there literally means a state of mind. This isn't a simple recall. This is a fixation. It's daydreaming. It's a longing for the past. And from this, I want us to see three lessons about idolizing the past. First, idolizing the past causes us to misremember the past. Second, it causes us to be ungrateful for the present. And third, it causes us to doubt God's plan for the future. And for each of these, we're going to see there's a physical component and a spiritual. So they weave together to kind of create the backdrop for this passage. So first, idolizing the past causes us to misremember the past. If you have your Bible or your bulletin insert, look with me at verses 4 and 5. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. 
The word rabble there in verse 4 refers to some people that had joined up with the Israelites. They're wandering through the wilderness, and maybe some people from Egypt came with them. Maybe it's some of the Amorites or the Amalekites or the Moabites. Different people along the way have said, something's going on with these people. We want to be a part of it. And these godless people start craving. The text literally says they craved with a craving. It's an emphatic point. And a strong desire for meat. And the Israelites join in their song of complaint. And as they complain, they misremember the past. Remember I said just a minute ago, there's a physical and a spiritual component to each of these. And when it comes to misremembering the past, physically speaking, this is pretty clear. They remember the fish that was free and the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Egypt is on the coast. The Nile River, the oceans, fish were abundant. The other items they mentioned aren't delicacies. These are simple ingredients. They don't say, we remember the cheeseburgers and the fillets and the truffles. No, these are just basic ingredients. They were so good. But were they? More than that, they say that the fish was free. What was the occupation of the Israelites after Joseph died? Do you remember? They were slaves. And so while they may have not paid their money for the fish, they paid for it with their freedom. But no, that doesn't matter. We want meat and we want it now. Friends, it is so easy to rebuke these Israelites and say, How foolish. How could you misremember your past? But we're the same way, aren't we? Oh, for the good old days when I was in college, the best part of my life. I mean, the parties were great and the pizza was delicious. Really? Living in debauchery and eating junk food was amazing? How quickly we misremember. Oh, for the days when America was a Christian nation, we might cry. Now, certainly our country was founded on Christian principles, and God has blessed this nation, but our country's never been a Christian nation totally. There's always been sin and wickedness. Culture has gotten worse, but there's always been sin. Man, life was so good when I was younger. I didn't have any of the concerns I did. That job that I had before this one was so much better. That school I attended was this, so much greater. That house was good. We can even fall into this as a church. If only we could go back to the days when so-and-so was here, when that person was pastor. You might even fall into this once you call your next pastor. Oh, for the days when we had that person instead of you. I hope not. If only, if only, if only. And on and on we could go. We idolize the past, we misremember it. So I ask you, how might you idolize your past? How is that causing you to misremember what's happened? But the greater danger is a spiritual one. And this is beneath the surface. We kind of got to dig a little bit to see it. When the people say that they long for Egypt... They're misremembering their spiritual past as well as the physical past. They forget the pagan worship that was in Egypt in which they got caught up in. 
They forget that God redeemed them out of that, brought them out to be a chosen people set apart for his holy purposes. They're basically saying, God, we don't care that you saved us from the wickedness of Egypt. We'd go, rather go back there and have nothing to do with you. All for some meat and leeks and garlic. What in the world? But before we jump down their throats, let us look inward to our own hearts. We often forget the sinfulness of our ways before Christ. We forget that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We forget the guilt and shame and fear and worry and angst that plagued our soul. We forget that we were on the wide road that leads to hell. When you think about the past, don't forget the spiritual work that God has done. If you're a follower of Christ, then God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, Paul says in Ephesians 2.1. But a couple of verses later in 4 and 5, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, that's the gospel. If you are in Christ, then that is your story. If not, make that your story. Trust in Christ. Don't misremember your past. But idolizing the past doesn't just cause us to misremember it. Secondly, it causes us to be ungrateful for the present. Look with me at verse 6 of our text. The people say, but now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. In God's providence, the plan, the reading plan through the Bible that we're going through has us reading Exodus 16 today. Uh, if you're on track, if you're not, that's fine. Keep going. Don't feel bad. But in Exodus 16, we find the gift of manna to the people of Israel. Scholars debate what exactly it was. Some have kind of offered a physical explanation that it came from a tamarisk tree. But I find that very hard to believe because it came six days a week for 40 years. Whatever this manna was, it was God's provision. In verses 7 through 9 of our text, we find some explanation about it. It was a fine, flaky substance Describes it like bdellium. Bdellium was white, so this was a white substance. It was baked into cakes. It had a sweet taste. Physically speaking, the ungratefulness of the people shines through. They're tired of the manna. They want meat. And in one sense, can you blame them? Right before God gave them manna in Exodus 16, he gave them quail, birds to eat. So it's been over a year since they've had meat. You and I have endless restaurants and grocery stores from which to find a plethora of food. Yeah, sometimes we're like, I don't know what to eat. I'm kind of bored with my food. Mom, Dad, is there anything we can have to eat besides such and such in the pantry? We complain, and so do they. In Psalm 78, we find commentary on the history of Israel, including this event. In verses 23 to 25, it says, about God, yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of the angels. 
He sent them food in abundance. Y'all, this wasn't wonder white bread, you know, like the loaves that you get at the store. Not that there's anything wrong with that. This is wonderful bread. It's the bread of heaven, the bread of angels. And more importantly, it came from God. It was His provision. And they were ungrateful. Friends, how often does our idolatry of the past make us ungrateful for the present? Because we long for the good old days, we fail to see the blessings of today. We're ungrateful for our current job because we miss our past job. We're ungrateful for this or that because of what we used to have. William Randolph Hearst was a very wealthy newspaper publisher who had an incredible art collection. The Hearst Mansion in Northern California is a testament to his insatiable desire for artistic treasures. On one occasion, he learned of some artwork that he was determined to obtain. And so he sent his agent abroad to search for this piece of art. After months of investigating, he comes back and says, there's good news, we found it. And even better news, it's not going to cost you a dime. He already owned it. The rediscovered piece was in Hearst's warehouse with many other treasures that likewise had never been uncrated. Friends, like Hearst, we can fail to see the blessings that are right in front of us. Caught up with what used to be, or even what might be. Fail to see what's right in front of us. The same thing is true spiritually, but even more dangerous. You know, it's really, really hard to see ungratefulness and discontent and complaining in ourselves. Will Bowen says, complaining is like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not your own. Not so true. Ah, that person, they're a complainer. What about you? No, me never. I never complain. Spiritually, we can complain about what God is doing. We may become envious of somebody else's spiritual gifts. We hear somebody else pray, oh, that I can pray like that. Oh, that I had their faith. A man was once marooned on a desolate island. And after being there for five years, he was finally rescued. And as he climbed into a rescue boat, curious rescuers noticed three grass huts. We thought you were alone this whole time. Why are there three huts? They asked. The man replied, the first hut's my home. And the second is my church. What about the third hut? Oh, that's the church I used to belong to. But aren't we like that? We're never satisfied. We're never content. When the people said that they would rather be in Egypt, they were attacking God. Basically, they're giving God the middle finger and saying that they would rather be back in Egypt without him than be in the wilderness with him. Psalm 78, 19, it says that they spoke against God. Friends, discontentment is cosmic treason against God and his good purposes for us right now. When we long for the past in an idolatrous manner, we're telling God, we don't care about you. We're saying, God, I know better than you do. This is what I need, not what I have. What arrogance. What brash rebellion. 
Oh, but we aren't really saying that. Like, we don't, we don't actually believe that. Friends, we dress up our sin so much, and we think that it's not nearly as bad as it actually is. Don't fall for that trap. See it for what it is, cosmic rebellion against God. Confess it. Ask for his forgiveness and for his help. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. Do you see the rich blessings that are yours if you believe in Christ? That your sins are forgiven. That you're no longer a slave to sin. That you were declared righteous and perfect. That you've been given the spirit of Christ. That you've been adopted into the family of God. That you have an eternal inheritance waiting for you. Don't be spiritually ungrateful for what God is currently doing in your life. Find contentment in Jesus. Yes, long to grow. But find contentment in Jesus. God knows far better than you do about what is best for your life. Are you trusting him? Idolizing the past causes us to misremember the past, to be ungrateful for the present, and, to, and finally to doubt God's plan for the future. God was leading the people to the promised land. He had promised a land flowing with milk and honey. But they settled for meat. They would rather gone back to being slaves in Egypt than continue the journey to the land of Canaan. They're like the toddler who in the middle of a temper tantrum just sits down and is like, I'm not going anywhere. You ever seen your kids or grandkids do that? Or they just go dead weight, basically saying like, if you're going to get me there, you're going to have to carry me. I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you. That's what the Israelites do to God. And how often are we like that? Because the grass seems greener on the other side of how we remember the past. We can't imagine going forward. We doubt that God will provide for us in the future. And so we get anxious and worry about things outside of our control. The spiritual reality of this truth is even greater. The people were spiritually ungrateful in the wilderness, and so they failed to see what God had in store. God brought them out of Egypt, but the wilderness was God's way of getting Egypt out of them, all the pagan, idolatrous worship. It was a time of renewal and growth, preparation for what was coming spiritually, but they didn't have eyes to see it. Because we could be ungrateful spiritually, we too might not see the season that we're going through is preparing us for our future. If you are in Christ, this world is not your home. We're just passing through. Which means we too have a promised land that awaits. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, the Apostle Peter reminds us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, that's what awaits us if we have our faith in Christ. But when we idolize the past, we forget where we're going. We forget that the end goal is the celestial city. Heaven is our home. Life with God forevermore awaits us. 
Yet we'd rather go back to a life of sin and misery, all for some stinking meat. The people of Israel were complainers. Their idolatry of the past led them to complain, and this impacted their view of the past, the present, and the future. And the same is true for us. It's so easy to idolize the past and not even realize it. It's tempting to read this story and hear this message and think, man, how awful of those Israelites. How awful of me. Is there any hope? In two weeks, we're going to begin a new sermon series going through the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And the first one, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And Elijah, our youth director, reminded me earlier this week that it's there in John 6 that Jesus shows us how this text of Numbers 11 points forward to him. Starting in verse 48 of John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the true manna. He is the fulfillment of the longings of your heart. He alone satisfies. Friends, we don't deserve God's love, but God showed it to us in His Son, Jesus, whom He sent to perfectly obey God's commands, to sacrificially die on the cross, and to rise again victorious, defeating death, hell, and the grave. Let that whet your appetite for our sermon in a couple weeks. But more than that, let it whet your appetite for Jesus. As David says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Look to Christ. Find in Him the ability to resist idolizing the past. And instead, find true contentment in God alone. Remember, as we saw last week, you need Jesus. So do I. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.